But I have seen other people get bullied. And at the time, I did see it get bullied. I didn't really know as much. So at most, I was like a bystander. And in a way, I did know what they were doing was wrong. But at the same time, it was like, I didn't feel comfortable stepping in and doing something about it. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African Podcast. And I am your host, Anya Fombad. And today we will be talking about teen mental health. Now, in our community, we have a couple of talks. We have a couple of workshops, conferences on mental health. And we, so far, we have come a long way, but we still have a lot more to, to talk about. And we have a lot of things to do when it has to do with mental health. But from my own personal experience, I have rarely ever heard people talk about teen mental health. That's mental health in the teenage years. So I have here with me a teenager, Jada Udom. And um, her partner, who is Sania Ahmed, she had to be here, but she had other things that pulled her away from this um, recording. But I'm so glad to have Jada here. Jada is an author. She wrote the book Teen Mental Health with Sania, and they both pretty much gave us a spot on insight on what teens go through when it has to do with mental health. And we will be talking for the most part about that book and just all aspects of teen mental health. And this is a very important topic that I would really call on all teenagers and all parents to really give it a listening ear because we're going to talk about so much that has been said in the book and so many experiences which will definitely impact us and give us that perspective and insight to really understand what teenagers go through. So um, Jada, I want to welcome you here to our platform. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. Okay, so my name is Jada Achiro. I'm a 16-year-old African-American and I co-founded Revive, which is a youth-led organization. Uh, and it focuses mostly around mental health. I am the eldest of three younger siblings. Perfect. And just making sure when you say African-American, I just want to clarify that because a lot of people would think that you're like American, like, you know, the African-American. You're actually Cam first generation Cameroonian, right? Mm -hmm. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. So you're from Cameroon. Originally, your parents are from Cameroon, which mm -hmm. is, you know, West or Central Africa, depending on who you're talking to. And basically you were born here. You were raised here for most of your life. Is that correct? No. Uh, so actually, I was born in Cameroon. Oh, awesome. And then when I was eight, I came over here. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. So you have been here just for eight years, and you have achieved so much more than some of us who have been here for almost 20 years. So I am super <laughs> proud of you, especially you at so your much. young age. You're welcome. Especially at your young age, you are breaking those strides, achieving those, you know, 
things that a lot of us had wished that we had the resources and the initiative to achieve. So I'm super proud of you and I can't wait to really dive deep into our conversation. So I know you just said, you know, your name and a few things about you, but I just want you to tell us your story. Well, before that, actually, um, I want us to, you know, I, 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 when I was reading your book, I mean, just the preface of that book was really, really you know, it caught my, my attention, right? It really grasped my attention. And I wanted us to, of course, with your permission, read parts of the preface. I just want to give people an insight on like what was going on in your mind and your partner's mind, Sania, while you guys wrote this book and the outlook that you guys were trying to portray that we, especially our community, we look at teenagers in that way. We have this unrealistic expectations, which are actually paradoxical. It's like you, you know, a lot of the, the community wants teenagers to act a certain way, but then they expect teenagers to feel another way, but then expect them to act another way. So it's, it's kind of paradoxical, like I said. And I really want us to go through parts of that preface to really understand where you came from. And then we will dive deeper into the rest of the book and your personal experiences. Okay. Okay. All right. So here's parts of the preface, which really caught my attention. So I'm going to start by reading being a teenager is no easy feat. The minute we turned 13, you bet we got warned about the horrors of teenagehood by the adults around us. Did we get intimidated? No. We just naturally rolled our eyes and whined that everything will be okay, and in doing so, proved to our parents that everything wouldn't be okay for the next half decade. If you are an adult reading this, hi. We may not know you personally, but we are confident you were once a teenager and probably did indulge in some regrettable actions or at least regrettable fashion choices. Therefore, you have no right to judge. This is a judge-free zone. Let's pinky promise. If you're a teenager, well, first of all, you are in the right place. Secondly, we just want to say that although these years may seem difficult, they act as proof of our strength. People always say that today's teens are tomorrow's leaders, but we'd argue that today's teens are today's leaders. If we work together, we can destigmatize the conversation around mental health and surrounding topics so that future teenagers won't have to face the stigmas we had to. The change starts with you. Don't fear vulnerability. Don't back down as a result of stigmas. Don't let others dictate your psychological, physical, and emotional well-being. We interviewed many advocates for this book who you'll get to meet later on, and one of them summed up the importance of talking about mental health perfectly. Enter Rosny Empiel, a 19-year-old mental health advocate from the Philippines who got diagnosed with anxiety disorder and mild depression. Besides being an advocate, Rosny is also a freshman currently pursuing her Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. She is a fan of Asian dramas and a lover of Korean noodles. Here's what she had to say. I always thought anxiety and depression were mixed myths and hoaxes until I experienced them firsthand. The journey of having to deal with this silent battles every day is genuinely tiresome. It's like you versus yourself on how you can pull yourself up. Fighting those destructive, intrusive thoughts and the unending loopholes of fear. In this generation today, there is still a strong stigma around mental health brought by the lack of knowledge and misleading media representations. 
By raising awareness, mental health can now become more visible as a severe illness similar to the urgency we have for physical diseases. Raising awareness through education can create a safer environment for individuals suffering from mental and emotional disorders that can ease their inner struggles and suffering and even save lives. Now, this is like one of my favorite parts of the preface. We're teenagers and therefore we understand what no other generation can ever fully understand about us. We're teenagers. We expect to make mistakes yet often get penalized for doing so. We're expected to be reckless yet get pressured to pick a path to take for the rest of our lives. We're expected to be hormonal yet when we are, we're labeled as being dramatic or bratty. We're teenagers. Most of us are taught to associate being vulnerable with being weak. Most of us look in the mirror every day until one day we see a complete stranger staring back. Most of us lose ourselves while letting others define us and who we should be. Most of us find ourselves putting on a mask all day just to wake up the next morning with puffy eyes full of evident gleams of dismay. We are teenagers. We're often told it's normal to feel weird some days. We're often told the extreme emotions we may be feeling are most likely associated with puberty and sliding into adulthood rather than a mental illness. We're shaped into believing that we're too young to know anything yet too old to know nothing. When we do build up the courage to speak up, a lot of us are hit with a diagnosis that we cannot fathom. We're teenagers. We may not know everything, but one thing we do know is that when mental health is discussed, we're often disregarded and painted over with the false idea that in our age, we're supposed to go through emotionally and mentally draining periods. And due to this false notion, we've lost so many lives, even within the living. Oh my goodness, that's so powerful. Teenage mental health has been talked about for a long time, yet somehow not enough times. When it is discussed, it's usually by grown adults who were teenagers decades ago and are using their history as case study. That's great, except times have changed. What may have affected teenagers back then doesn't necessarily apply to today's teens. Today's teens got raised on the cusps of the social media age. Today's teens were surrounded by mental illness, romanticized to a great extent. Today's teens are part of the Generation Z or Gen Z, which has been named to be the most depressed generation. Oh my goodness, Jada, that is so powerful. I mean, the preface, I mean, if anybody reads the preface of this book and doesn't get a copy, then I don't know. You know, that is extremely powerful. That is... Basically, you know, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, I am an adult, been an adult for over a decade now, and I can definitely say that what you wrote in the, just in the preface was similar to what I felt when I was a teenager, you know, and I also think that that's why, one of the reasons why I decided to bring up this podcast and start the podcast to begin with, because I wanted to create a safe space where we can have such conversations, because when I was young... I was an extremely, extremely inquisitive child and teenager. I always, I, I always spoke up. And of course, when you speak up, especially in the African community, 
you're labeled as being bratty or being rude or you know I I had that I I made sure to feel every experience that I had as a teenager and I always questioned I always asked questions thankfully my parents accommodated those questions but not everybody could understand where I was coming from you know if you are different you're being labeled and nobody really cares to understand what you are going through on the inside you know so I really want to thank you for even writing that and I cannot wait to dive deeper into this conversation now. So based on that, you know, I don't know if you have a story to tell us. Like, you know, I know you mentioned you you spent the first eight years of your life in Cameroon. You must have had some experience. I mean, probably equal experiences in Cameroon. And here you're 16 years of age and you probably wrote this book when you were still 15. And so can you just tell us your story? What motivated you to write this book based on maybe personal experiences and how these experiences were different in Cameroon versus in the U.S.? Okay, so in Cameroon, one of the main big differences I saw that was from different from Cameroon here and from America here is that things are a little bit more easier, if that makes sense. Like, things aren't taking as as hard you know like mm-hmm. for example school over there is like it's a big thing like my parents really pushed the whole school notion and then back then I don't know if they still do it now but back then whenever I used to go to school they used to like let like um, the ch- the teachers discipline the, the students right when they yeah. used to like beat you and hit you not like as discipline not because you know it was this whole thing but here when I got here I was so relieved I was so relieved that whenever I got to school <laughs> my teachers aren't going to be like you know like they, they they couldn't discipline you mm-hmm. as like your parents could still do it but your teachers couldn't do it and I'm so relieved. Right. But one thing I also realized was that back then I didn't it like I not, not that I didn't really hear about mental health before but mental health wasn't really much of a thing mm-hmm. because they just didn't talk about it. So when I came here and I learned about it I was so confused that you know here it's just it's it's not it's not as talked it's more talked here but it's there's still a stigma around it but here it's it's just a lot more a lot more opened about it yeah there's so many ways you can learn about it they have so many psychiatrists here you just there's just so much that people have already done here while back there like unless someone told me about it i don't think i remember but i didn't it didn't even cross my mind back then when i was still there in cameroon so i feel like here there are a lot more opened and it's just a lot more here which is why when like, you know, COVID happened, you know, that's basically when COVID happened during that time, there was this news, I remember it was on the news and people were like, people's mental health are dropping significantly because you're, you're having to stay inside a lot and you're not having that human connection that most humans need, right? Yeah. And so it led to me, to me and I creating like, you know, mental health because you tend to realize that no one really ever talks about it, eventually in my family, you know? Yeah. No one really talks about it. And I don't, it's not, I don't think it's not because they don't care. It's just, yeah, it's, just it's not part of the culture. It's, yeah, it's just something that no one has ever talked about. It's just, it's life. That's how they treated us. It's just life. You yeah. Just get out and you move on with it, right? Right. And so when you start talking about it, and I've learned so much, you know, it's, it's really opened my eyes to different people's situations, the things they have to go through, and just how it really makes you feel like you're the only one going through that stuff when there are so many other people there and people ready to help you and people ready to stand by your side to make sure you get that help, which is also one of the reasons why I even did the nonprofit and I even read and I decided to write a book about it just to get more people to, you know, 
just to advocate more about the whole mental health and all that stuff. Right. That's that's very commendable. And I totally agree with everything that you just said. It's like every time you talk, I have to remind myself that you were 16. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. I have to remind myself like she's just 16 years old and you have done so much. And I mean, your vision, your focus, it's totally, totally unique. When I look at other teenagers, you know, I'm not trying to compare, but I mean, when I look at your focus, I look at what you've achieved so far. And then I look at other teenagers and it makes me just so proud of you for what you're doing. So just keep it up. And now, so you were talking about, you know, comparing like the outlook on mental health in Cameroon and also here. Now, is that when you're comparing that to here, is that like within the African community here in America or just within the American community as a whole? Because I still feel like that, that notion or that culture of silencing you know, being silenced when it comes to mental health it still continues here in a lot of African families. You know, just because the environment has changed, a lot of parents, especially those who grew up back home, are still having a hard time trying to open up and have those open conversations about mental health within their own families, their African families and stuff. So what do you think about that? Um, I think that you are right in the fact that it really hasn't changed from the African, com- like the African community from there to here, but like the American community has, you know, it has, mm-hmm. it is different. But from the African community, I mostly just think that it is kind of hard for parents to do it. And, I, and in a way, I do understand why it is hard. You know, you've grown up all your way this way. So obviously you're going to try to teach your kids the way that it's always been, the way that's always worked. Right. Right. And that's unfortunately is it just can't work anymore because especially in the preface you just read, you know, what was, what um, challenges that you may have faced when you're younger is definitely not the not same the challenges same. that we are facing. Yeah, exactly. Many things are different. For example, sometimes remember my dad talks, uh, talks to me about like the telephones and the computers. He's always like, I didn't have a computer to university. Right. And I'm shocked because I grew up with a phone like it, it was already there i'm already used to it so whenever they, he always talks about it i'm like i honestly cannot believe it because if i were to grow up then i'd be like what what did you guys do right right <laughs> and so because there's such thing as technology that heavily also impacts mental health because now there's people who go on there and they just they say things with no regard as to who is going to read that and how that is going to affect them yeah because in a way you are still using um, technology to communicate with each other. And that is a big thing about like the whole, that's even the main thing about what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to communicate to other people that, hey, there's a way to do this and we're trying to help you. And in using technology, you can do that too. So it it is kind of a little bit upsetting when people use that same technology, but they don't use it in like, they don't think about what they say before they say it when yes. they use that. So. Yes, that's very true. And we're going to dive deeper into that um, down the road in terms of, you know, mental health and, of course, social media, because that's like where a lot of teens spend their time (laughs) on social media, especially when it has to do with technology, you know. So, um, I mean, there was a point, the point you made about, you know, of course, the experiences with, let's say, your, your parents or your dad, you know, it's different times or just adults in general in this time who were raised back home. You know, it was definitely different times, like you said. Now, what is your outlook when it has to do with, you know, basically based on your experience, of course, with, you know, the elders in your family or your community as a whole, you know, where do you think you're mostly misunderstood? Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to let parents know, like, this is an opportunity for parents to dig into the minds of a teenager, in this case, 
in your mind, you know? Because a lot of us, uh, well, I'm not a parent yet, but a lot of parents actually, especially those who grew up back then, they have specific values. But then it's very hard to incorporate those traditional values back home to the more advanced and open-minded and less conservative values in America. So it's very hard for them to merge those two different cultures in order to raise children up here. And that's basically what a lot of parents have struggled with. A lot of parents, at least a lot of parents that I've spoken to. So it's always good for us, the adults, to really get to know what you kids or teenagers are thinking what's in your mind of course judgment free like you said in the preface so based on your own experience like what exactly do you think that in what aspects have you been judged or what experiences have you actually had which made you feel like this is different and this is not supposed to happen you know like I don't know why these people are looking at me this way like I don't know like things that you just can't understand but then the adults can understand as well okay so my for one one of the big things that were what that kind of struck me as odd was that as a girl you they teach you how to cook because, for example, like, for example, my mom always, she used to say that, hey, if you don't know how to cook, then who's going to marry you? Right. Whenever my mom, mom, my grandmother came here to live with us, she lived with us, like, for a couple of years, she said the exact same thing. And even now, to this day, some of my uncles, whenever they, they talk about it, sometimes they're like, Jada, you don't know how to cook anything? And over the years, I have learned how to cook some few things, but I'm obviously not the best. It's just, it's just something that I don't like to do as much. Like, my mom loves cooking. You could tell her to cook anything, and she would just cook for the sake of cooking. Like she, is, right. she does it just because I think she honestly loves it. But for me, it's kind of different. And sometimes I, it made me feel almost, in a way, bad and guilty that I wasn't taking as much time to learn about it and everything. But the thing that really like made me kind of turn away from it was the whole, you know, you should cook because you know, in the future when you find a husband, he's not gonna like you because you, you don't, you can't cook. You know, you're kind of useless. And I feel like that, in a way, is just it's just one of the problems. That, you know, I face because event now is different because now they're like, you should cook because when you get older, you need to be able to sustain yourself. Sustain yourself, you need, yeah. You need to be able to cook. So it's changed from you need to cook for like a husband that you marry in like in the future to you need to cook for yourself. And I, I'm really glad that they kind of changed a little bit of their wording, you know. Yeah. But and it was it was kind of sad and I, I know and, and it made me kind of feel guilty and I kind of like almost you know I, I just didn't like the whole thing of like the peer pressure they used to put on me like now I understand that you know I do have to cook a few things back then it just felt like I was just cooking for someone else I was learning it for someone yeah for else. someone else and not for yourself yeah it just didn't feel right to me at that time right know? right yeah that's very true I mean those are just one of the hundreds of things and experiences yeah. that you have probably faced and you know I can personally relate to that because I have a junior sister who's about 16 years of age and she goes to a boarding school and every time I mean I love cooking I enjoy cooking and ironically I don't even know how I learned I learned how to cook when I actually moved here I could cook a little bit every now and then but I always watched my auntie cook at home back when I was growing up and you know I learned a lot from her and then when I came here I had the opportunity to sustain myself I was living by myself and I started learning how to cook and cooking has just been a passion for me I have my own way of doing it but I know like every time that I'm cooking when my junior sister is here on holidays I always tell her hopefully I mean I probably may have slipped 
as well to tell her like, hey, you know, if you want to raise a home and, you know, keep your home, whatever, you know, like you have to learn how to cook. Because, you know, in our culture growing up, like I've, I grew up for the first 17 years of my life in Cameroon, you know, and it's like that was the culture that we were raised with. And, you know, looking back, as you highlighted, it's very important for our community or our loved ones to encourage us to do things for ourselves first than to do it for others because we end up living our lives for others others who don't even exist yet in our lives right so but yeah i always told i always told my junior sister and i still tell her like you know hey one thing i I, and i tell her based on my experience which sometimes may be right sometimes may not be right you know and you know when i remember when i came here and i knew how to cook a lot of my friends oh my god my friends admired me so much for knowing how to cook you know because a lot of my friends did not know how to cook especially those who were raised here and a lot of them kind of depended on me and i could easily make that as a business you know just the same way as I learned how to do hair when I was back home and that was for myself and that really sustained me through college because I was doing hair and people were paying me you know what I mean so I always tell my sister I'm like you have to always be in the kitchen and help me you know and watch what I'm doing because when you go to college you it's gonna pay off for sure you know you're gonna your friends are literally gonna be envious of you you know because it's like that's a skill it's more of a I looked at it more of a skill than even like something that you know, you have to use to get a man or something like that. You know what I mean? So if you look at that as a skill set, then you will see that um, you would now judge whether it's important for you or not. You know what I mean? But thank you very much for sharing for sharing that. Now, let's move on to a few things that you wrote in the book. And you wrote extensively about, you know, substance abuse, addiction, bullying, mental illness, eating disorders, and you also had mentioned of, you know, self-harm and suicide. Now, when I looked at all of those topics, those are definitely big topics in mental health as a whole. And I can't, I mean, when I was reading each topic, I could definitely relate to a story that I've seen either on the news or through someone that I know that has to do with a, a teenager. So those topics were pretty much spot on. And and these are also topics that cut across all generations, not even only teenagers. That's why I really want to urge everybody in every generation to pick up a copy of this book because, I mean, you will be mind blown, honestly. So based on those topics, why do you really think it is particularly important for teenagers to be aware of these issues? Um, I feel like it's really important for teenagers to be aware because... As teenagers, the time that we spent as teenagers, it said in the book that that's basically the trial that we need to get through to become an adult. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's almost like a race almost, you know, from a kid to when they try, when you when you don't really know much about the world, to a teenager where you are being constantly given information in and in that you have to digest, use, store, keep that for the future. And so when you become an adult, you said that you could you could you, like your parents and everyone around you prepared you to have become an adult, a successful adult, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's really important that teenagers know about these. Even people like me, for example, I personally grew up with a family that loves me, that took care of me. Yeah. And I don't have a lot of issues that most of these people do because, you know, I just already had that support system with me. Mm-hmm. But others don't. And so it's so important for people who didn't go through this to even know so they're able to they have like the tools ready to like if they do meet someone like that they're able to like help them the best way they can and for teenagers that do have those like mental health issues that they know that there are people out there that advocate for them and they know that there are people out there that are ready to help them whenever whenever they're not whenever they're ready to seek that help you know right we don't push them away we want to bring them in yeah that's that's very true. Thank you so much. So which of these topics that I just mentioned, which of them could you relate to the most? 
like the substance abuse and all that stuff. Yeah. The substance abuse, addiction, bullying, mental illness, eating disorders, self-harm, and suicide. Like, not necessarily, when I say relate to, I, not necessarily something that you have gone through. But, of course, if you have gone through any of that, then you could talk about that as well, you know, at your convenience or at your comfort level. But just things that you have even experienced, like your friends, go through, if that makes sense. I think one of the stuff I have experienced is mostly the bullying. Not that I myself was bullied on. I was never bullied on. But I have seen other people get bullied. And at the time, I did see it get bullied. I didn't really know as much. So at most, I was like a bystander. And in a way, I did know what they were doing was wrong. But at the same time, it was like I didn't feel comfortable stepping in and doing something about it. And that is something I deeply regret because at that time, I didn't know that stepping in and doing something would have eventually helped that Hell, person. Yes. You know, rather than just me just staying there and then, you know, awkwardly laughing and which which is which isn't like, you know, something I am really proud of. Right. And and I mean, I, I, I totally get it 'cause that's and I feel like that's why it's very important for for other teenagers, especially to pick up this book and really read about what you wrote about bullying, because knowledge is power, right? If you knew better, you should have done something better, but you did not know better. And I'm so glad that you used that experience and other experiences from other people to really highlight the disadvantages and the impacts that things like bullying could have on, you know, mental health and our community as a whole. So that's very good. At least you did something about that by writing about it. So which of these topics as well do you think that a lot of teens are commonly impacted by? The one that I wrote about that I think most teens are commonly impacted by will be peer pressure. I feel like peer pressure is really a two-way street. It can help you and it can really just mess you up. Yeah. As teenagers, we want to belong. I, as a teenager, want to belong. I want to have friends. Not necessarily because, you know, having friends is like a good thing or a bad thing. It's just because I want to have, I want to be in a group of people that I know, a group of yeah. people that I can talk to about many interests and we laugh and we share memories. You know, it makes school so much easier when you have people that you can look up to that, hey, you know, when I go to school, I can go talk to this person and it's going to just make my day a lot better, you know. It, it helps other people because people like to be with me because, you know, I make them laugh. And in making them laugh, that also makes me happy. Yeah. But the peer pressure is that most of the times when you learn about it in school, you learn as it as a ne- it has like a negative connotation to it almost in school because it's like, you know, if you're friends with people who smoke, you're going to smoke as well. Mm-hmm. If you're friends with people who drink, you're going to drink as well. And that is true because they do, your friends do impact you as a teenager because that is someone that is around you constantly and that is someone that can lead you astray. But at the same time, I think that isn't necessarily true because I know some teenagers that are very mature for their age mm-hmm. that already know what they want to do. They know that I'm not going to have that no matter how much you push me to say, I, like, you know, they just aren't going to let that happen. And I think peer pressure too can be used in a good way because if you're surrounded, if you surround yourself with people who get a plus on tests yeah. were very smart. You yourself are gonna gonna have the ambition to be very smart, to be with them, to keep up with them, you know. Yeah. And that's I feel like that really affects teenagers because you are in school for a majority of the time you are a teenager and you are gonna meet different people and you are gonna see different types of people and they learn about their experience and you're gonna meet different people who are gonna tell you this has happened to me because you know I drink because this is just what I've been used to. And while you may not be able to tell them that, hey, it's wrong, and they might not even listen to you, and that's fine too, everyone has the right to make their own choices, you should still be able to be a friend to them. 
you know, because yeah. I strive to help you. I strive right now to help people at the most basic level. And even if, you know, they may be drinking and like I don't drink, I can still be their friend and I can still reach out to them. And I can hope that one day they might just stop drinking, not because, you know, I told them to stop drinking, but because they chose to stop drinking because they know that they have other people that count on them or something. Like that. Yeah, you know? that's that's very true. I mean, you said a lot of truths to, you know, there's a lot of truth to what you said. And it just got me thinking about the quote, the saying, I mean, I can't, I probably will not say it exactly, but it says, you know, the greatest goal of every human being is to love and be loved. Right. And I feel like that kind of exacerbates as a teenager, especially when you're still trying to find yourself. It's like you want people to love you and you also want to love on someone else. Right. And that's how friendships come about. But now Choosing who to love and be loved by is extremely important because if you choose the wrong person, another saying says, you know, you're, you're the you're the average of the five people that you hang around or something like that. So if you have good five, five good people that you hang around, then you will definitely end up being good and also a successful because guess what? They're going to influence you somehow, you know, to be good as well. But if you hang around the bad crowd, then regardless of how good you are, it's just a matter of time and you are going to be influenced by the wrong crowd, you know? And, you know, it's it's interesting and funny at the same time that you said that about peer pressure because I feel like, especially in, an, in our African community, the peer pressure is actually a lot as well when in, in, in adulthood, <laughs> you know? And it comes in terms of competition, right? It's like everybody wants the spotlight. Everybody wants, especially in the social media age, everybody wants to be a celebrity. Everyone wants, everybody wants to be viral. Everybody wants to be popular. So you want to have the biggest house, even if you can't afford, because you're basically competing with people that don't even care about you (laughs) to begin with, you know? So that peer pressure, it cuts again across generations, especially in the African community, you know? And I feel like that peer pressure, I mean, as a teenager, the peer pressure makes you to take bad decisions and it could even let your life go astray but as adults as well the peer pressure actually can lead you to take bad decisions but also they can make you to put pressure on other people around you and to put your own loved ones into trouble because if i experience a peer pressure to be around if i'm if i can't afford a certain lifestyle but i want to belong and be seen with people who have a more extravagant lifestyle then i tend to put my own self, my own family into jeopardy, financial jeopardy, just because I'm trying to meet up to the standards of other people, you know. So things like that, I feel like it makes mental health worse, especially in our community. And so I want us to really talk about a couple of these chapters that you had in, in, in the book. And the first one that you wrote was like, the stigma is an enigma. So if I had to ask you like to basically summarize that in like a few sentences what will you say about that specific chapter so that whole chapter was basically the stigma around mental that whole chapter is basically us just talking about why we believe there's even a stigma there in the first place and the the thing with the stigma is that it's people when people describe it, they always describe it as this unforeseen force that is just plaguing around the world, mental health, and plaguing around people. And I don't see it that way. I just see it as a group of people, as 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 just something that is it's it's almost blocking you from doing anything. And you can break down that wall, you can jump over that obstacle, mm-hmm. but you choose not to because it's just a, it's a lot easier in life. I believe it's a lot easier in life to choose to do the wrong thing than it is to choose to do the right thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to be a follower than to be a leader. First right, of all. right. Because why should I go out of my way to go and 
an advocate for this when I could just say, oh, well, there's a stigma around it, so I'm just not even going to, I'm just going to say that and not even bother around it. Yeah. And the reason I really, and the reason why I believe that people should try and they should try and make that difference is because it really does make a difference. And I feel like people just don't believe it does, but I think it really does. Because when you talk to someone, you never know what she might say to influence that someone, whether it be yeah. bad, whether it be good. You could say something, and it, they might have a realization, and, and it, could, it could help them. I believe it could help them. It's happened to me before where someone said something to me, and, and I really, it made me really think about that, and it made me persevere to do something better. And mm-hmm. they might not have said it because they thought I needed it. They just said it because, you know, they said it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I basically kind of wrote that whole chapter. It was basically around that subject. Right. And it was basically to tell people that it also kind of – drew me for surprise because when I did start this organization, at the time, I didn't really know that people discriminated. I didn't know that people discriminated against people with mental health. And let me explain that. I didn't know that people went out of their way to put obstacles in front of people that already had obstacles of their own, if that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I always that because in my household, we're, we're pretty much, we learned, for example, my, my dad's his own saying is that, you know, when you, like, his own saying is that you see it, you know, as Christians, for example, we're Christians, as Christians, the whole thing is that you're supposed to love. You are not supposed to be judged, jury, and executioner. Only yeah. Jesus, right? And so that's it, it, that kind of applies to everything else. You aren't supposed to judge that person. You're just supposed to be nice to that person, help them if you can, and then move on out of the way. Mm-hmm. So for, for me, it took a while for me to comprehend that people actually went out of their way to discriminate against someone who honestly did almost nothing wrong to them. Oh, yeah. no, they just did it because they just felt the need to. And that really just, it just gave me a really bad taste of the, you know, the world we're living in, that people would just go on and just do that. Yeah. And, it, you know, they don't really need to. It's, it comes from the fact that, you know, I too once was an ignorant person. And in the fact that, I mean, that I too once didn't, I kind of just ignored the whole thing as has been taught to, you know, I just ignored it. I moved along until so I realized that, Ignoring it doesn't do anything good, but it doesn't do anything bad either. Right. You know, in order for something to change, you actually actively have to put in the work and you have to keep make, moving forward in order for it to change. You can't just ignore it. At the same time, you shouldn't also do something badly to impact it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I was basically trying to say in that whole chapter. Wow, that's very powerful. And it just got me, it, it reminded me of what you said in the preface that, you know, we're, as teenagers, you know, teenagers are often told that, you know, the extreme emotions may be, they may be feeling are most likely associated with puberty and sliding into adulthood rather than actually a mental illness. And even when, you know, I believe that, you know, even when the few people realize that it's a mental illness, there's so much stigma around it that instead makes the teenagers to close off, you know, or just people, not necessarily only teenagers, because I mean, a lot of this conversation is directed to teenage mental health but it's something that i believe we can all relate to right especially in our community we really i mean i had mentioned before we have started having a lot of conversations on mental health but i feel like we need to have more to break that stigma and i'm very very honored to use my platform to do that you know to have these open conversations about mental health another thing that you wrote as well one of the chapters were on the hormones and that also you know 
got me thinking about what you wrote in the preface that you guys, teenagers are expected to be hormonal, right? Because that's when you have the hormones flying everywhere. Yet when they're hormonal, they're attacked as being, you know, dramatic and bratty. That still has to do with stigma. But what more can you say about that? I feel like for when I wrote the hormone chapter, I talked to like a couple of, I think I talked to an endocrinologist. They take it, they, 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 um, they, care, like they deal with hormones and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it kind of confused it more. It confused me more than even normal because it seems like our hormones do dictate what we do, but we still technically have the choice to not do it. It just, right. it, it just, I think it was because I was trying to understand something that it, it just, I couldn't really understand it as much right. because it made the question that do I do what I do because that's what my body is telling me to do at that time? Or do I do it because I am actively thinking that, Hey, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me about the whole idea of choice. Am I choosing to right. do it? Or is my body already choosing that for me? And I just think I thought about it, you know, right. So that, after when I was writing it, I was so deeply confused because I yeah. got to submit questions about it and I was just right. I mean, I'm not an endocrinologist for sure. <laughs> I'm not a medical doctor either. I'm just a pharmacist. But from my own experience, you know, and I there was a part in the book that I read. I don't know what chapter that was. I believe it was about the brain. You know, you were talking about, you know, the brain and stuff like that. I think that, that was actually chapter one. And it was, you know, I, I, I won't really quote you per se because I, I can't really remember how you said it. But from my own understanding, you were comparing the teenage brain and the adult brain, right? And you were saying that the teenage brain actually fully develops by the age of 25. You know, that's when you guys, that's when, you know, the brain is really expected to make certain reasonable or rational decisions. So to me, based on that and my understanding, having been a teenager a couple of years ago, I just feel like, yeah, the hormones are flying. But as a teenager, you don't know so much in life to really know what everything that's right from everything that's wrong. So as you're trying to find yourself, you find yourself also making decisions that you probably did not think were wrong. But when they end up being wrong, then that's when you learn your lesson, right? So it's like your brain is not that developed to the point that you will be making decisions as an adult. And as you said in the preface as well, every adult, they talk about their own experiences as teenagers and their own mental health as teenagers in retrospect, right? So they talk about that in the past based on those experiences, those mistakes that they made. Because as an adult, we make most of our decisions based on our past experiences. That's when we know from experience that this was right and this was wrong. But imagine not even knowing what's right from what's wrong. And then with hormones flying everywhere, it could tend to be difficult to make the most rational decisions 100% of the time. Even as adults, we don't make the most rational decisions. So yeah, I mean, it could be confusing. It could even be paradoxical because it's expecting you to have control over that those hormones. But then again, your brain is not that developed to even be able to have control over those emotions at the same time. So that's why, like you mentioned, you know, peer pressure is very important to know the people that surround you because those people can also use their own experiences to help you, you know, to make right decisions. It's always good for you to keep the values that you have been taught, especially when you were younger, because those values will guide all the decisions that you make as a teenager through adulthood. Okay, so now let's talk about you know, well, no, that chapter actually was chapter five, the ins and outs of a teenage brain, I think. <laughs> the one about, you know, the, the, the how developed the, the teenage brain is. And so let's talk about the developmental disorders that you you wrote about. I mean, I was very impressed at how you wrote about these disorders. And I know you had a lot of 
interviews with a lot of health professionals as well in this topic, I believe. And you spoke about Rett syndrome, Down syndrome, speech impairment, and autism. And you know, all of this, all of this developmental disorders, I feel like those are one of the most common causes of bullying, especially as a teenager, you know, especially when you're out there, you, because a lot of those developmental disorders lead to special needs, right? So they have to basically have special needs and have an additional level of education, you know, or at least some special attention compared to other students. So that in and of itself actually makes this teenagers, for example, very timid, most of them, you know, or insecure because of the developmental disorders that they have. And then you add bullying on top, it can definitely affect their mental health, right? So I know you had mentioned that you have a sister who has autism. So what do you have to really say about these developmental disorders and how they have impacted you as a teenager and what you're actually doing to to protect anything from happening to maybe your sister, you know, to prevent her from having any kind of mental health issues in relation to her developmental disorder? So from what I can tell you about her now, because it really starts when we're really young. Like I, when I was four, she was two. And at that time, and what from what my parents tell me, that Arnell was actually not autistic at that time. She could actually talk properly and she could understand really properly and well. But then when we came here and over the years, she just, she just couldn't talk as well. She lost her motor functions. Like she couldn't write. She couldn't, you know, speak. And even right now, whenever she speaks to us, she has like a protocol, which is an iPad, where she basically taps. Then it just says what she wants to say for her rather than her talking because she can't really communicate with us as well. And that's also one of the main reasons why I chose to advocate for mental health and all that stuff because I realized that as a sister and as an elder sister, it is my responsibility to look out for them. And I can't really look out for her even as because I don't really understand her as well, but I can't really look out for her if I choose not to understand more about her. You can't really choose to help something that you yourself don't even understand what exactly you're helping, right? Mm. And that's what I like. I was back then I was kind of an ignorant person because I didn't really take the time I didn't take the time to research more about it, to understand more about it. And by starting this whole organization, I was able to research more about it and I was able to talk more about it. And that really made me understand a lot more. For example, in that chapter, I interviewed one of the, one of my interviewees was a, was a father and he also had a daughter who was autistic as well. And she was in her, I think, 20s. And when I was talking to him, it was, it was really enlightening because I never really thought about what her life would be after after high school because for me i know after high school i'm probably gonna have to get a job move on in life but for her it's different she can't really do that you know unless someone teaches her how to like they're gonna have to teach her a lot of stuff in order for her to eventually get to that level of owning a job and living on her own because whenever i ask my parents about it or whenever i used to ask my parents about it they'll always be like she's gonna stay in the house forever and i'm like what happens after you guys are gone because what you know what happens to her you know is is this this huge uncertainty that is just around her and the more I learned about it and the more I learned how you know it gets better you know by taking the time and talking to her it, honestly I feel like it gets better you get to make more of a conversation with her because for example there are so many times in my life where I really wish I could talk to her because she is the closest to my age she's just two years younger than me mm-hmm. the others I have a five-year-old and the other one is 12 she's four years younger we tend to disagree a lot, but she, I, I can't really have the level of conversation you would have with someone who's like a year younger than you, you know, mm-hmm. or you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it's just, 
it's always been one of those things where I kind of wish she was she was able to talk to me or we were able to talk to each other because I felt like then I would be able to have someone I can at least talk to, someone who kind of understands a little bit, you know, yeah. what I have to go through, you know? Yeah. And so it's just, it's really just dictated my whole life. For example, my parents, they're always going to have to choose her over me. And not because they want to, but just because she's just going to need a lot more attention. A lot more attention, yeah. She's just always going to get the stuff right. They're just always going to have to pick her. And not because they, 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 because they don't love us. It's just because, you know, she's just, she's always going to be the first priority, you know, yeah. as, you know, the one who's autistic. Yeah. And over the years, you know, a little part of me used to kind of resent that when I was younger mm-hmm. because I didn't quite understand why they had to do that. And it wasn't until I grew older and I learned more about it and I talked more about it that I understand that, hey, you know, it's not her fault that she's that way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I can't be the one, you know, being, I can't, I, it, it, it's me who has to be, who, who's older, who has to take the initiative to understand that I have to take the initiative to understand that, hey, it's not her fault. And, you know, I have to just, I just have to be older. I have to be the better person. I just have to understand more about it rather than just blaming it kind of on her. Right, you know, right. Yeah. I mean, believe me when I tell you that I understand, I usually don't use that word often that I understand, but I really do understand because a lot of what you're feeling, I have felt that before because I also have a brother who's special needs. He was born normal. I mean, if you go to my podcast, I think we spoke about that with my family on episode 36, I believe. And it just talks about the realities of what families with special needs children go through. And my brother uh, is in his late 20s right now, but he was born normal. He was born as all of us were born yeah. as normal. Yeah. But two weeks later, he had a circumcision, which was botched and it created complications. And he had, I believe he had a very high fever, which led to a seizure, which destroyed one side of his brain and got him paralyzed on the other side and it affected his speech he could not speak he literally still babbles like a baby he does not work he can't even eat hard food he has his food has to be pressed he wears still wears diapers like he, he cannot communicate with us so all this question that you have asked we have always been asking our parents since when we were young like what next what's gonna happen you know i mean he's way past the age of even like being in college if he was okay just the same as us he probably would have hopefully been married by now or at least had a very good job and probably had like an advanced degree from college by now but my parents are still with him they're still taking care of him but then again we have to think about what next my parents are getting old you know and these are things that we have to take over from them and these are very very huge responsibilities so however you felt growing up you know with the attention and everything like we felt the same way I mean I it's literally a mirror reflection of what you're feeling is exactly what I felt so I can definitely relate to you and I mean even past this episode if there's any time you want to talk or anything that you maybe don't understand and no one else can explain to you I'm willing to talk to you about that because these are our realities and these are not easy things to go through or to traverse by yourself. So again, I'm super proud of you for using that and turning it around to to write about it in your book and impact others who are going through a similar ordeal. So I'm really proud of you for doing that. Now, I wanted us to talk about, you know, the peer pressure that you had mentioned about as well as the bullying. So I want us to incorporate all of that peer pressure. That's chapter 10. Chapter 10 was why you should cancel your subscription to peer pressure. And then, of course, I believe one of your partner's topics, chapter 12, about bullying. Bullying isn't cool and it's just cruel. And then, of course, 
chapter 13, which is so about social media, because I feel like all those three topics are entangled with each other. Now, I wanted us to really talk about that because that wasn't only the thing that you highlighted that teen- teenagers are most impacted by, like the peer pressure and the bullying, um, but it's something that we as adults need to hear. Hopefully, we can have the humility to listen from a teenager's perspective and also just listen to advice from a teenager. You know what I mean? That's something we don't yeah. have in our African yeah. community. Adults yeah. don't listen to kids, right? <laughs> so like, I know, which is true. They do have more experience and they do know better. Right. But then we have to have that humility to come down to the level of children because children humble us. Well, we have to let children humble us to, enough to listen to them and also learn from them because just because they're younger does not mean, and, they, and just because they don't have as much experience does not mean that they can't teach us, right, as adults. So why do you think that social media, especially in this time and age, has a huge impact on peer pressure and bullying and how can we or how can teenagers unsubscribe to all of that okay so we have to start from the very beginning and that is the fact that most teenagers that were like born around the same by the 2005s and 10s and all the stuff they were born into the social media age that's like around when the whole thing was coming out so by the time i was i think in fifth grade my dad finally gave me a flip phone. I was the first. So he gave me a flip phone because he was like, wow. I'm not trusting you. Like, yeah, I'm serious. I had to legit go to flip phone with school. And people were like, looking for me. They were like, is that a flip phone? I'm like, yes. <laughs> right. It's, it's just yeah. They grew up around this age where I saw a lot of people only had phones. They bought their iPads to school. It's just this whole thing where it's exciting. And it's, it's kind of hard to explain to an adult because I do it all the time. I have a hard time getting off my phone to do anything. And it's because it just, they, they found a way to grab your attention 24-7 to stay on it because there's just so many things you can do on it. I know some adults that plan their whole life just around it. Like you can plan so many things. You can be like, okay, I have my calendar here. I have like so many things can just be done on one phone that you'd be like, what's the point of, yeah. of going to friend walking down the road to go see a friend when i can just text her and we can have a conversation and i can move on yeah that's just it shortens the time of so many things and so when teenagers are born into that and when they have to when they have so many resources in their hands they're obviously going to use it and the thing with us teenagers is that we've talked about it is that we haven't our brain isn't developed enough until we're 25 right so we're bound to make some wrong decisions that is just yeah. normal and yeah. with social media and when you do have something like that where you can use it to communicate to so many different people and there's so many platforms that let you do so you're obviously bound to make the wrong decisions and you're obviously bound to do something stupid mm. i've done so everyone does it you know and so it comes to the fact where for example bullying in school it used to be whenever you you, you remember watching those movies those old movies you know yeah where they, whenever the bullying it's always physical you always see them pushing them okay yeah. the lockers and something like that in high school but now you don't even have to do that there's a better yeah. way for you to do that you just have to text mean stuff to them right and it's it's so much worse you know i feel like people would honestly rather be physically bullied then they would be, you know, on social media. Yeah, on social media. It, words, just, words stay with you for life. Really, yeah. It's just like you read that stuff and you're like, you cannot put the phone down. It just stays with you over and over and over again. And no matter what anyone else says to you, that is what you're going to focus on, which is kind of interesting when you take when you take it into peer pressure. Because what your friends say to you also also kind of affects you too. Because if your friend says that, oh, you know, I think you could lose a few pounds, that really isn't a good friend. Because yeah. not only 
is that coming from an insecure place? It also makes you as well insecure, right? Yeah. And when you see your friends on social media and you see them, what they're doing, you obviously want to get up on there and you want to be part of the group. So you obviously want to want, you're going to want to do what they do, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you see them bullying online, you're technically not supposed to follow that behavior because even school, they stress it out so much that whenever you see something online, you have to tell them not to stop it, you know, because that is someone else's life that you are honestly putting in jeopardy. You know, it really leads to them to do bad decisions. They get into depression. They just do. And then eventually it leads to them almost committing committing suicide. In not, not in all cases, but in yeah. some cases. Yeah. And that's really scary for me because... To think that we have so much power due to the technology that exists in our age, that you have as much power to almost cause someone to kill themselves. It's, it's so scary that whenever you think about it, you're like, wow. Like, what, what, like, it just, it's, you cannot find the fact that people just don't take into account of that. They just say whatever they want. They post it and they're like, you know, yeah. who cares? Yeah. It's just, it's just so hard. That's that's very true. That's very true. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jada. I mean, I honestly don't have anything more to add to that. You actually said everything already in very, very concise words, you know. And I mean, if, not even if, I would really, really recommend that, you know, especially African teenagers who are listening to this or the parents of African teenagers should grab a copy of your book and really read more about what you guys wrote about this topics. I mean, like I said, there are 25 chapters. I'm just pinpointing out just a few topics that stood out to me, you know, but like there's so much more that a lot of teenagers and even, you know, just adolescents as a whole and even adults honestly should read this book just to get insight and really understand the times that we're living in and also understand the perspective from teenagers and also just mental health as a whole and make that more of a priority. Now let's talk about relationships because this is, <laughs> this is one of the topics that, you know, I feel like I could relate to. And I mean, yeah, we've already spoken yeah. about like friendships, which are also a part of relationships and that's, you know, yeah. have to do with peer pressure, but I'm talking about romantic relationships as teenagers and as an African, you know, <laughs> growing up, uh, having a boyfriend or girlfriend, even in school, as a teenager, uh, was sort of a taboo. Like teachers were always very, like they will always frown at stuff like that. Or if you want to have a little boyfriend or girlfriend here, they're like, oh, you're, you're too young to, to date. What do you even know about relationships? You know, they tag you as a bad kid and all of that. I had a couple of relationships, probably did not, <coughs> probably did not agree with my parents at that time, you know, but it's like, I'm trying to do things different with differently with my sister right? I try to make a comfortable environment for her to confide in me and tell me about her relationship if she has one. I try to get her to even have dates. Not that I influence her, but like for homecoming, like if she, if anybody wants to take her for out for homecoming, I encourage her. I'm like, that's the only way that you can have, you know, this rapport and relationships, with, especially with people that you're attracted to or people that you like. You know, I try to make her comfortable talking to me about about things like that, because that would give me a better opportunity or a better place to maybe guide her, you know, not to make the wrong decisions. You know what I mean? Or not let her just be out there by herself, not knowing what to do and then end up making the wrong decision. Right. So what do you have to say about relationships as a teenager and as an African teenager, especially in America? So I'm going to start with like the African part, because it is true that my parents do not allow any type of dating. They're like, why? <laughs> Why would you even need to go there? They never want you to have to boyfriends, there. but they want you to get married, right? Exactly. Like, okay, you're only allowed to get married at 30. I'm like, okay, how do I get there? Don't you need to start dating first to get to that part, you know? Right. I feel like 
in high school, you know, relationships, I've always looked at them. I've never had a relationship before, but I've always looked at them as almost kind of this high high school um, relationship in particular. I've always looked at them as honestly kind of stupid because only the two percent of people that actually do date eventually become high school sweethearts and they eventually go on to date forever. Mm-hmm. The people you date now in high school, it's just you don't really take it seriously. Right. And people always get, I've seen so many girls that get heartbroken over it. And I'm like, you do know in a few years when you do go to college, you're going to meet another person. Right. When you graduate college and you go to do work, you're probably going to meet another person and you're eventually going to have that connection you need. Because most people, whenever you talk to them, once you talk to most adults, they always treat their high school relationships as, eh, it was in the past, it wasn't really that serious. And because at that time, it may feel serious and it really does feel like you know your heart gets shattered and your heart gets broken but I do believe that it really isn't that serious you know from just my perspective and I also believe that um dating in general should honestly be a personal choice in a way where your parents obviously should be there for you every step of the way because I've always hated friends that always dated and they never told their parents because that can really go honestly the wrong way. I felt like yeah. if you told your parents, you, the, you're, the person you're dating doesn't have to meet your parents. But if they know that you're dating this person, and whenever you have an issue that arises from that relationship, you can always come to your parents and talk to them about it. You know, I, I always right. thought that, that was that was kind of like a fault in our in the teenager's own perspective that we always think to hide it because yeah. you know. But and I feel like if you yeah, no, yeah but but i i would i would beg to slightly differ on that you know because it doesn't go just one way right um mm-hmm. there I, I honestly believe that a lot unless they're doing the wrong thing unless you're dating like let's just say a drug dealer or you yeah, know like yeah, people yeah. who are bad people right i honestly feel like every teenager you know like i mentioned like Every human wants to love and be loved i feel like a lot of teenagers want to be hurt if anything right and if a teenager knows that they're comfortable with you, they could live you you like I mean, as an adult, you'd be shocked at what a teenager could confide in you about. You know what I mean? So there are there are some teenagers that will actually want to talk to their parents or will want to talk to someone that they can confide in. But if that trust has not been built from the other party, then it makes it hard for them to, yeah. you know, to, to confide in that person. Mm-hmm. But then again, they can't just stop their lives. I mean, they're teenagers, right? They want to explore. They want to date. They still want to date. Feel, they still want to experience. Right. I feel like another thing to that is that as an African, it I feel like it also kind of depends on, you know, if you've never, I know some people that have never, like some adults have never been asked that during their teenage life. And I feel like in a way that kind of does impact them because in the fact, it kind of tells you that during my high school years, no one found me remotely attractive enough to date me. So now that I'm an adult, who is going to find me anywhere attractive to date me now? Because if back then, you know, not even one person could have done it, then who is going to do it now? Mm -hmm. I feel like it also kind of goes into that. And I also feel like the whole thing with relationships is that I find it a little bit too troublesome. I don't understand why people would honestly give their heart to someone and only for them to crush it or not to crush it. <laughs> it's, it's just to me, it seems so scary. Like, why should I put all of this into someone else's hands? And don't, they have the right, worry. they have the choice to like crush it. They have the choice to throw it around. <laughs> they can do whatever they want with it. I mean, it's not their heart. They're not putting anything. <laughs> don't worry it's my just, dear <laughs> do not worry you will get to understand when the right person and the right time comes you would you would understand i mean right now it's probably obvious that relationships are probably not your priority <laughs> rightfully so you know and so that will influence your thinking but you would really 
you know, with more experience and as you grow up, you will definitely learn a lot and you will find yourself giving your, your heart to someone without even like knowing it. Okay. So don't, don't, don't worry about that. With time, you're going to experience all of that. And, you know, I mean, usually you had mentioned about, you know, your friends crying and being heartbroken or, you know, people who have been in relationships. That's usually, you know, when you experience something for the first time, it's really, it, it gets you, right? I mean, but with time, of course, you know, you know what, I mean, those people probably just gave the, their whole self to that person and then maybe naively, they didn't know what to hold back. And then now everything is crushed. So with time, you're going to know your boundaries. With time, you're going to know what to give and what not to give freely. You know, you, you're going to know a lot of things. And all those things come from experiences. That's why it's very important to to be with someone who can influence you positively. So overall, you pick out, you have that, you still have that ability to look back and right your wrongs moving forward, you know. But all those things are normal you know, depending on what stage in life you are or what your priorities are, especially if your priority is a relationship at this point and you get into one and it doesn't work out, you feel so disappointed, right? So that's just how they're feeling. But don't worry about all these things. Believe me, you're going <laughs> to experience them. But those two ch- two chapters, I think chapter 14 and 15, which had to do with relationships, those were, you know, very good chapters as well. Now, you were talking about seeking help and, you know, um, uh, and another chapter was your story matters. You know, I mean, I really love those chapters as well because it really encourages teenagers. And in this case, teenagers, especially from the African community with respect to our podcast to really seek help, you know, despite the stigma that, you know, surrounds it. And that also particularly goes to those teenagers back home, you know, because there's still a lot of stigma surrounding mental health and also, not encouraging teenagers to not be shy or timid of sharing their story because when you share your story then you empower others to do the same and when you have that vulnerability you also empower others to do the same and you create a an atmosphere of trust right where people can come and know that hey this is a judgment-free zone and I know that I, my story can impact somebody somehow and I can learn from somebody else's story so um can you just you know give us your insight on those two chapters about seeking help in your story matters Okay, so for seeking help, I think that honestly is the whole reason why most people advocate for mental health. It's the fact that I believe they wanted to make a difference in the world and they wanted to help those people. And so in order for you to help those people is that it's a two-way street. I want to help you, but you also want to be helped. There's one thing I've, right. I've honestly learned. That if someone doesn't want your help, you it's, it's going to be so, like, there's really no honestly no point helping that person because they're not honestly going to let you in, you know? And also back to what you said about, um, you know, for example, in order for a teenager to trust the adult, in order for them to tell them about those relationships, the adult also has to put in the time and work, you know, to make sure that teenager knows that that is someone I can come to and confide in. And I think that also works, too, in that chapter, too, because... In order for you to seek help in in anything you want to you know in anything you want advice in, you're obviously gonna go to you're obviously gonna go to the first person. The first person that's obviously gonna come into your mind is a person that you know for a fact they aren't gonna judge you. They're actually gonna help you and they're uh, gonna be there for you mm-hmm. every step of the way. That is someone you are gonna go to first yeah. of all. You're not gonna go to the to the, your parents. Well, you you might go to your parents, but you're not gonna go to that one parent that you know kind of doesn't listen to you. Yeah. They, they, they say stuff, they don't, they're, not, they're not there with you, you know. And right. You're going to go to the person that, honestly, you believe takes your um, feelings into account. Right. And your story matters is that 
That is, that's when I created the nonprofit. That's what we used to do. We would interview so many people and we put their stories there because we believe the most effective way to honestly break that stigma around mental health is to get people to talk about talk it. About it. To get yeah. to talk about their experience. That way, people who are like ignorant, or not even ignorant, people who don't even know a lot about it, they can come and read and they can honestly learn because you are right. Knowledge is power. And the more you know, the more you can choose to help. And the more actions you know have, the, the more things you know, you know what you need to do in order to help, you know, it just impacts a lot. And by telling your story, I feel like that also helps a lot. Whenever you have a guilty conscience and you tell someone, hey, I did this or whatever, a lot of, it just, uh, it like, it lifts it lifts up, up a burden, yeah. Yeah, it, it just makes it so much more easier to do. Because once you've finally gotten out from being alone and gotten out to people who care and you can talk to all those people, it just makes it so much more easier, you know? Because no human being, well, it's what you said, no, everyone wants to be loved and be loved. And you cannot expect to be, uh, you can't expect to love someone if, you know, that person isn't willing to, like, you know, talk to you about stuff. It's, even with relationships and friendships, yeah, there's a whole communication that goes into it, you know? You always have to talk to that person. You have to be there for that person. It's just, it's this whole back and forth, two-way thing, you know? You yeah. have to compromise with that person sometimes. It's just this whole thing where you always are going to be seeking help with that. You're always going to be talking to that person. You're always going to be with that person. And so, if you're going to be with someone for the rest of your life, wouldn't it be so much more easier if you if you know you can trust that person? If you know whenever something comes up, that is the person I can go to for help and everything. It just it just makes life, in general, easier. Yeah. Because some believe that in order for you to get through life, they're willing to do anything. They're willing to put people down. They're willing to do all kind of things. And you don't need to do that. I think the reason, the, like, the way you can get your life is with other people, by lifting people up. That way, whenever you go down or whenever you hit a wall, you know there are many people around you who are willing to um, help you get up. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And again, uh, like you said, having that ability to seek for help to begin with or even share your story, it requires that safe space, right? And the person who's a recipient of this, all of the stories has to create that safe space in order for people to trust them enough to come to them. And that is really something that we, especially as adults or the elderly people in our African community have to do, you know, to create that safe space for our younger ones, for our teenagers to come to us and talk to us about anything and not find ourselves regretting when the teenager has harmed themselves or done something bad. And then we start saying, I should have, could have, would have listened to this person or done this or done that in regret, you know? So that's very important. So now in a nutshell, like what do you think that parents or adults need to know about the mental health of teenagers and what basically what teenagers typically think and experience? Um, I think at the end of the day, as an adult, you aren't a teenager anymore. You know, all that experience comes from, like, um, uh, uh, past experience, you know, from stuff you've done before. So, obviously, any logical person would try to look back from their past, from all those experiences they've learned, and try to apply it to the situation. And while that may work, that is not always going to be the solution. You know, sometimes the best solution sometimes is just to leave them alone. I know some people don't want to, but sometimes it's just to give them space to think about it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the best thing is to sit them down, you know, try to relate with them, and then try to see if they're going to open up to you. And do little, little things, you know, make that, create that safe space, that safe haven where they can come in, and they know that they can always talk to you about all that stuff. Because, right. you know... I feel bad for parents sometimes. You know, we teenagers are a lot. We're going through a lot. And so we tend to <laughs> you out a lot. And we, we tend to do all this stuff. And it's it's honestly not just because we hate y'all. It's just because 
this is just a lot going on and so we just we always tend to we tend to make more bad decisions than good ones right. but at the end of the day you are right that people do want to be loved you know people want someone there for them and they they want someone who can help them someone they can trust on you know yeah. you know it just builds that whole relationship up and it's honestly kind of a beautiful thing to to have a support system to know that you know it helps people like honestly would someone kill themselves if they know that hey i have people around me everywhere i can go to all those different people i have so many resources i have cousins that are willing to drop everything and come to me every time i need help because they care and they love for me yeah. you know yeah. it's honestly finding someone who's going to willing to help you and if parents can be that someone you no know, parents are with you they are they know you before you even know yourself you yeah. know <laughs> like that's what my parents that's always true. say it's like with you before you were even born you know i i already know you i already know all your 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 tells when you lie i didn't know what you know they just they always know and yeah. so it, it makes sense that the, your parents is that is that first person that you go to because they are the person that that have been there before your friends and even before your husband and wife they are the person that has been there from the very beginning and mm-hmm. so it makes sense that they are the person that they are the people that you're obviously going to eventually always go to first before you should go to anyone else to in my opinion right that's very true now um what are the ways that you know you would encourage our community to be more sensitive about the mental health of teenagers i honestly do believe that it just really comes from you know knowing more and understanding more i was a person that i did not understand and I, and in the way I chose not to understand by not choosing to use the resources I have for my fingers, like for example my phone, to search it up and to get to really know more about what the heck is going on in the world today, you know, I kind of chose to just ignore it. And I feel like if people in our community just took the time to not to understand, and we're not asking them to do a whole lot because I feel like some people think that you just have to understand it and you have to follow up. And no, it's really basically you choosing to read what. Uh, to choosing to go follow some people, read honestly, understand it. Because I feel like if you truly understand something, then anything is possible. And honestly, that's what I, for my schoolwork, whenever I have like a math homework or something like that, if I understand what we're learning about, it doesn't matter any problem that you give me about that same topic. Yeah. I'm just automatically going to know the fundamentals and I know I'm going to have to solve them. Same thing with mental health. If you understand what you're dealing with and you understand what you what you know and you understand that there are resources out there you can go to for help, then you can honestly deal with any kind of problem that comes your way. You just have to be sure. understanding and you just have to be ready to like know that it's going to be a long process. Some people just think that it's going to be easy. You're going to get on there. You're going to get better. And I honestly, it took me a while to understand that not every story is going to have a happy ending. Not every yeah. story is going to be get in there and it, it just magically solves itself that is so true that is so true i mean like again every time you're talking it's like i feel so empowered and it's like i i, I tend to forget that you're just a teenager but then not just a te- any kind of teenager because i mean you speak from it seems like you speak from so much experience but then again you don't even you're not old enough to have that much experience <laughs> you know what i mean so it's 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 very impressive and i just want to applaud you for that now you're talking about your charity organization so can you tell us more about that like the name and the stuff that you guys do and any other projects that you're passionate about so it's called revive mental health we chose revive because we are in a way trying to revive people's revive their stories we're trying to revive people to come back to life and to take that initiative again you know we're trying to get people out of those shells you know to do something again yeah. not to just go back into their slumbers it's kind of like that right mm-hmm. and basically it's just a, a youth-led organization where we basically get a lot of people's stories we interview them we get other advocates that are willing to help 
we get them to also tell their stories and to help out. You know, we, we try to get everyone closer together because I see that most organizations, they do try to tend to make it more about how many more can we get, how many more people can we help, you know, all those forwards. And it shouldn't really about, it shouldn't be about that. Mm-hmm. It should be more about all those organizations banding together to make a more positive impact on society and to help more people. I believe that's mm-hmm. is what it's about. But to be honest, it's something that I never thought I would do. It's something that I never thought I even had the ability to do and the ability to help out so many people. And when people think that, it's honestly kind of sad that we live in a world where people choose to do harm against others because the, the rush that you get from helping someone, it's, it impacts you so much better than any other thing you would do when you try to hurt them. Yeah, you know? that's so true. It just, it just helps. Because at the end of the day, what all these advocates are trying to do is just to help people. And not because they're trying to help people because there's any reason behind it. You just want to help people. In my case, I just want to help more people to get more knowledgeable so I can help more people, basically. Yes. It's just this whole, you yes. know, it's not any meaningful thing that you're trying to do in the back and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. And the more recognition you get, the more help you can even give out. That's that- really what it is about in the end. That is exactly true. And that's such a wonderful way for you to end this conversation. I just want to tell you that I have been so inspired. And this just goes to show that we're never too young or too old to inspire and have an impact on one another, especially in an African community where adults just don't have that humility to listen to children or at least to be inspired by children. But you have really inspired me with this conversation. And I I, I can only imagine what life has in store for you the projects that you have in store for you just let me know if you need my help in anything and i will be very willing to help the best way that i could now how can people reach you um we have our website which is just revivementalhealth.org we have you can reach me through my email um jada at revivementalhealth.org i also have like all them and everything you can also go to our instagram which is just revive and you can try to email me uh-huh. you can check our website and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Thank you so much, Jada. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. And I will have all that information in the show notes of this podcast for anybody who is trying to reach out to you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you for sharing even your experience with us and your insight, especially on teen mental health. And I hope that all teenagers should really have a moment to listen to this as well as parents. And I hope that this conversation will not only end here. I urge parents to pick up your book, Teen Mental Health, and read it with your teenagers and talk about that. Have open conversations with your teenagers. Have open conversations even with each other because a lot of these topics cut across generations. And there's so much to unpack in each chapter. And I hope that we can all spark these hard conversations that we have been pushing under the rug for so many years and for so long. And hopefully it can impact us positively as it has impacted me as well. So thank you so much, Jada. And I will catch you on the next episode. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.